Welcome to Call Your Girlfriends, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, Charlottesville and the fight against white supremacy. Plus, she sheds an HGTV feminism. Quick update about the Girl Scouts. And will you be in the path of totality during the eclipse? Do you want to talk about the news? I don't want to talk about the news. Um, <laughs> ooh, I like my whining voice today. It's so good. Uh, you know, I like it too that you're like one of my few friends that lets me whine. <laughs> so it's it's every time I do it, I'm just like, oh, it's like nice to be a baby. I should do this more often. Thank I mean, you. one of the world's most hardworking wor- women deserves to whine every now and then. What's going on? I mean, the whole world's on fire. So I don't know. Obviously, we were oracles and prophets last week when we had a real talk about race. Then like a race war erupted over the weekend. So, you know. Right. We talk about white people and then. And white really, people white out. They yeah, just like, like white out. <laughs> yeah. With like Home Depot tiki torches and like Nazi okay, flags. Rewind. And- Explain to the people what's going on. What's going on in America today? Well, I mean, you got to back up a little bit. So on Saturday, a coalition of different types of racist, bigoted groups came together under a rally called Unite the Right, which, you know, was basically just like a like a Nazi, like a KKK rally without the hoods, featuring some people who have come to prominence since the election as like online figures. It was kind of like the coming out into the streets party for people who are really eager to promote hate and think that white supremacy is a thing. Like, it's like a real thing as opposed to like a perpetuated system. Like, you know, like as in there's some sort of inherent white supremacy. These are the people who are in the streets. And then there were counter protests and they started screaming about free speech because people were protesting against them, you know, like people who are not super down with hate. One of these people affiliated with a far-right white nationalist group drove his car into a crowd of protesters and killed one woman, uh, Heather Heyer, and injured more than a dozen other people, some of them pretty severely. So that's the rundown. I think that if you listen to this podcast, you probably are up to date on the news in America. And so you probably know that already, but it's worth saying. So that was like the Saturday. And then like, and then that cues the, all of the response to it. Right. It's like the president didn't kind of really want to condemn Nazis in 2017, which is both like shocking and not shocking. Maybe this is like where my like Euro Africa sensibility comes out. Seeing people waving Nazi flags carrying tiki torches and fancying themselves like the second coming of the KKK. That is like actually deeply shocking to me. Mm -hmm. It's like for, for everything I complain about, like most like mainstream white America, I am actually 
I I can't believe that like people, especially like Republicans, for all of my qualms with Republicans, but like I remember like World War II history, that people think that this is like this is okay and that they can do it in the name of the president or a political party. Like that's deeply, I was like deeply offended and shocked by that. Yeah, so I was having like a, a, a blissful Saturday morning just thrifting my little heart out at one of my favorite thrift stores and got in the car and then like the news was on about what had happened. And the original statement from the Cheeto uh, was a condemnation of hatred and bigotry and violence, quote, on many sides, which he repeated twice, on many sides. Yeah, there's like not both sides of like KKK. I find that like really, like I don't know how to process that. Yeah. And then, of course, like, white nationalist groups who are rallying are like, woohoo, he didn't attack us. Like, that was a great statement. I, You know, I part of the reason why I feel really lethargic about this is because I was really upset on Saturday. I'm upset, but I'm not surprised. Right. Like, if anything, I'm surprised that, like, there's not, like, nooses everywhere and Black people hanging from them because of just, like, the anger that some of these people feel. And the fact that, like, like even people who are well-meaning liberals, like, the the conversations that I've heard around this is just, like, makes me... It has just, like, really... it Like, not radicalized me, but it's really just, like, reminded me, like, my place. And where I'm at, it's, like, hearing from liberal people, like, this is not Charlottesville. This is not us. And I'm like, listen, I've been to Charlottesville many times. It's a delightful place. I'm also like not an idiot. I know exactly why white supremacists target it because exactly because it's like, quote unquote, a progressive place, right? Like they're not doing this in like Rappahannock where they can send a clear message. But at the same time, like, can you really call yourself a progressive city if you have like dozens of Confederate statues (laughs) in your midst? I personally don't think so. But, you know, like, what do I know? And so... It's just like there there have been like no heroes. The Nazis are like terrible people, like for sure. The like Pier One KKK, like they're also terrible people. But the well-meaning like hashtag this is not us crowd, like they're also terrible people. And they're all complicit in acting together. Well, the common thread I see from the the people who are actively promoting racialized hatred in the streets to the Cheeto and all the members of his cabinet who, despite months of advancing openly racist policies, are like, hate is the worst, racism is the worst, to people who are more progressive who want to believe that this is an aberration or not related to things that are happening right now. The common thread is racism is a thing of the past. Like, this is the delusion that all of those people are operating under. The men who are in the streets, most of the men, not exclusively men, but like the, the people in the streets are like, at that rally who are instigating it are like, we need to rally because racism is in the past and people who want to keep talking about it are therefore holding white people down. Like they're delusional about like the current state of racism in America. But like that also applies to all these other people who have like, like everyone in power right now, pretty much who is totally comfortable saying we don't need policies like affirmative action. We don't need laws to protect voters' rights because racism is done and over. It's like their efforts to prove that racism is in the past are just confirming for people that it is very much not in the past. The one thing that I find amusing about all of this is that it actually like neatly ties up a couple of threads that we've discussed, right? Where it's like, um, people are always like, 
why are you so mad about HBO making a show called Confederate? Things like Saturday and <laughs> Charlottesville is why people are mad. Or like rewind back to the election and after the election, people going, I am just going to rise above and I'm going to embrace my racist family and I'm going to try to understand all these Trump voters. And if you can't get on board with that, you're the one that doesn't want to get through anything. Direct line between that kind of thinking and what happens Saturday. So like for all of the people who have been saying that like they're just trying to rise above and they're trying to understand like what the like white supremacists and the white nationalists are mad about. It's like, yeah. You gave them an inch and they took the whole fucking arm and they're going to keep doing this and keep doing this. And because everybody is a hypocrite and everybody's a liar, like it's not going to stop until something really bad happens and really bad things are happening. Totally. And like the, the failure of the modern Republican Party to essentially marginalize these people is also like part of what's happening here, right? Like the idea of saying like, oh yeah, you have a home here in like one of our nation's two major political parties makes them feel like they have a home here overall, like makes them feel like they don't need to hide their identities. Yeah, these guys are repeat customers. Your customer is always right. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like at this point, you can't repudiate them. It's been really shocking to me, for example, to think about Nazis and like white supremacists like marching on Charlottesville, against the backdrop of like saying when the police union, for example, was angry that Colin Kaepernick, a football player, would not kneel during the uh, the national anthem. And they were like, we're not going to protect him anymore. Or like Beyonce performing at the Super Bowl. And again, the police union going like, hey, like you're being disrespectful to law enforcement. So we are not going to protect anything that you do. Or thinking about... The fact that if that man who drove the car into a crowd who, like, should be branded a terrorist, like, if he had been Muslim, the full weight of the GOP would have come to bear down on him. Calling him a terrorist, asking all brown people to denounce terrorists, and, like, the fact that white people never get asked that. Nobody's ever like, hey, how come you guys don't, like, denounce the, the like, bad people in your midst? <laughs> and right. how come you don't have to, like, pay for, for any of that stuff? Even in Charlottesville, the police didn't intervene against, like, a lot of the protesters because they were like, oh, those guys have semi-automatic weapons. Less than 10 people were arrested at these protests against hundreds of people who were arrested in Ferguson. What's the difference? Huh. Interesting. What is the difference between the protesters in those two situations? I'm going to sit here and think about that for a while. I'm just like, you know, like to hear like a fucking chief of police and a governor say like, oh, those guys have like really big guns. Like mm -hmm. we can't engage against them. Yeah. It is shocking. Right. For me, like this weekend was really hard. It was it was not surprising, but it was really hard. Right. Because it's so overt. Right. Like I think that we we got very used to talking about this stuff. Certainly like in the Obama years, but like, but before that, and even like at times, I think um, now under this administration of talking about the practical, more granular ways that racism plays out. You know, we talk about segregation and really disparate opportunities in schools. We talk about diversity recruitment efforts and like hiring discrimination in the workplace. We talk about capital and who has access to it when they're building a new business. Like, you know, we, we talk about politics, like which candidates are running and who's getting elected. And we, I think you and I and a lot of people understand that like one reason we're so invested in these questions is because 
because we know racism is still real and clear and present and dangerous. And like, these are the ways that concrete things where you can kind of like work to change it. Like you can't, God, what is, there is a famous quote and I'm, it's escaping me who said it about like, you can't change like how people feel like about race in their heart of hearts, but like you can change policies. Like you can like make them behave differently based on like the rule of law. And after a long time of like really trying to concentrate on the ways the rule of law and policies work and trying to fight for better policies to be slapped in the face with from some corners, total acceptance of totally overt, just like hatred is, that is shocking. Like in part because it's like, we, it's like why we, we work on all this other stuff, but it's also you know, something that in order to do the work every day, you kind of have to push to the background a little bit. Like you kind of have to be like, I'm going to focus on this particular conversation in a direct way. I don't think there's a way to like fix racism, like writ large, like bigotry. I think there's a way to fix policies though. Right. I'm so glad that you bring up policy because like last week we made that comment about people who take systemic critiques like personally and it always becomes well, I am a good person, or I have a black friend, or my wife is, like, whatever. And the truth is that, like, we, like you and I, me at least, I don't actually care what you people believe in their hearts of hearts. If I don't know you, I don't give a shit. And if I do know you, the only thing that I can do is distance myself from you. But for me, a good, like, operating actual definition of racism is if you believe in racist policies, then you're a fucking racist. Right. I don't care what you look like in your intrapersonal life, but if you support policies that are racist, you're not, and you're not working to close the racial wealth gap, and you're not working to like remedy policy problems that affect people through the lens of race and poverty, then you're a racist. Totally. And like, it's not personal, it's business. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the history of racism in this country is like really. It's like very transparent. There's an entire reason that we have a racial wealth gap. And it's because like literally people were stolen to come work, to like come here to work on behalf of another people. And then they've like never caught up. It's not about like my black friend this or like, why do you listen to hip hop? Or like, I worked really hard for what I have. It's literally about stealing wealth. Right. That's not an impossible concept to grasp. And for everybody who is always like, like it's interesting to me that even like the white nationalists, like they always talk about fairness. And it's like, this is what like fairness is, is the fact that you had, you've had like generations of advantages that other people haven't had. Like there's nothing intellectually high-minded about this. It's actually like very, very simple. Totally. There, yeah, the circular logic of that. Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, if you believe in racist policies, you're racist. If you're, the people that you love believe in racist policies, they're racist. Like, it is just that simple. It's not personal. It's the truth. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, too. I mean, like, like looking at some of the, the public comments and, like, the Twitter feeds of the white nationalists organizing this rally, they're all like, oh, the media gets us wrong. We're not racist. To that, I, I'm like, I'm like, that puts you in a really interesting bind, right? Because if you're not racist and yet you're against all these policies, either you think that people of color are inherently less skilled and qualified, which is the definition of being racist, or you think that there needs to be no policy remedy for inequality. And like, you know, you're, you're basically saying like racism within the system is okay. Like whether you're cool with either explanation for the massive gaps in like wealth and opportunities in this country, both of them boil down to you have to work against racism. 
Yeah, and it's also like, you know, it's like in the targets like move so fast. One of the things that really made me laugh was <laughs> people had started identifying like who some of the protesters were and then they they all like distanced themselves. They're like, ah, uh, yeah, I'm holding a torch and I'm like ranting in this photo, but like, you know, like I'm not going to burn any person down with it. I'm not a racist. I'm just a regular guy. Uh, the <laughs> one guy had like obviously like a Slavic name. And that made me laugh so hard because I'm like, I'm old enough when I remember when Nazis wouldn't let like Slavic people be Nazis. <laughs> and only in America can you like benefit from Balkan immigration laws that LBJ changed, right, in the 60s. And then now you can fucking identify with the Nazi party. Like, that's insane. That's like actually insane. This definition of like people who say that they're aggrieved Europeans, like even that, like historically, it like it does not track. Yeah. Thinking about you saying like, oh, I can't be racist. I have a black friend. It's like the mother of the guy who drove his car into the protesters and like killed people on Saturday. She said that she was shocked to learn he was attending a white nationalist rally because he has a black friend. Like, that is an actual quote that she gave, you know? Like, this, this idea that, like, again, like, the perception that it's personal and not systemic leads you to believe that if you have a personal relationship, everything's fine systemically. I know. And you know what? You know what brown and black people know? That if you only have one black friend, like, the likelihood of you, like, being a racist is actually quite high. But that's a conversation for another podcast. Luckily, everyone uh, knows I have a black friend because of this podcast. So I don't need to what, insist Anne? it you over have and two. over. You have two. So your like, statistic like liability goes down like greatly. That, like The whole thing is crazy. I'm also glad that you bring up the terrorist who, who plowed into the crowd. Totally. Because the other revelation that came out is that like I'm shocked to learn that he like beats his mother. And what do all terrorists have in common? They all abuse women or would love to. They like literally, they just, it's like, I don't remember the last time that we branded somebody a terrorist in this country and they did not have a track record of like beating a woman in their lives. Mm -hmm. It's like, again, wow. It's interesting how like violence against women like correlates with this like likelihood of being a terrorist. Right. Like if you're a, if you're a domestic terrorist within your home, you're likely to be more likely to be a terrorist in the public sphere. That is not the most mind blowing connection to make. I know. I'm also like, what are these people angry about? Because here's the other thing about all of the like white nationalist leadership that is in this country. I won't even name any of them because they don't deserve the publicity. They're all like upper middle class and like wealthy people. What really are you mad about? Like, mm -hmm. and how do you bamboozle all these other like white people who are less well off than you? into thinking that, like, you guys have the same cause. Well, yeah, I mean, the answer is fear, right? Like, they know how much they have. Like, that's the other, like, logical fallacy of this. They know exactly how much they have. Part of the language, hang on, I'm finding this Unite the Right flyer, it's basically the language is like, we won't be replaced. The framing is they have essentially gone, and this is exactly what we were talking about last week, from being the people who have every structural advantage in this country and all of the inherited wealth in this country or the highest probability of having those things to framing themselves as potential victims, right? And like that is enough to motivate them to come out in the streets. It's not even like they've taken it away. It's like, oh no, people might, people might remove our status as like the most important people in this country and the most advantaged. You're like not even the most important people in your own house. Like what? These people are crazy. Um, can I tell you one thing that made me laugh so hard, though? 
Yes. I'm really glad that we can always have moments of levity um, during like national terrorist activity, thanks to the internet. Is that um, Tiki brand? <laughs> I didn't even know that Tiki torches were like, like that was the brand, like the name of the brand. Neither did I. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the like Pier One Nazis, like they buy Tiki torches because they don't have like regular torches, I guess. You know, like those went out of style or whatever. Or like original recipe KKK, like retired them. But so the Tiki brand like put out a statement distancing themselves from the Nazis. <laughs> and that like, that really took me out. We are living in incredible times that if you're like a brand manager somewhere, you have to be like, our brand is for entertainment and backyards. Like we're not here for. <laughs> like, if, if you're a brand manager in 2017, you have to be prepared to denounce Nazis, even if you make backyard like tiki accoutrement. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like every day is like that Captain Von Trapp gif where you just like wake up and you have to tear up the Nazi flag. You're like, that's 2017. But like that like took me out so much. I was like, the next tweet that you're going to get is like from Prometheus being like, I did not steal fire. And give it to mankind for Nazis to come and just, like, do Nazi shit everywhere. It's like, this is, like, brand protection is serious. Ugh, I know. Tweeting from antiquity, Prometheus says, not I. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, sorry, gang. Like, this is crazy. (laughs) Oh, man. Can't believe we're talking about Nazis, like, in real time. But you know what? Like, stay tuned. I I do have one recommendation to end on, which is a piece by Ijeomo Oluo in The Establishment where she basically says that if you are someone who does think about this structurally, what are some good questions you can be asking about structural white supremacy? And it's basically like like much of the piece is a list of questions about the way this plays out in a granular way, in a policy way. And so if you are someone who is like, very much of the I'm not racist camp, i.e. all of us. It's not like a guide to like what to do about it, but like it's like these are the questions you need to start with. The question to start with is not are you a racist? These are the questions to start with. So we'll link to that in the show notes too because I think that that's useful to bring it down in really specific ways. I think also that if you live in a city or you're part of a community, i.e. a university that has monuments to the Confederacy still up, you should start or you should join a protest movement against them. Because it's no accident that people use these monuments to like rally around hate. It's like everybody else who loses a war gets their fucking symbols destroyed. And so it's like not an accident that we still have Confederate statues. And in fact, a lot of them were put up long, long, long after the war when people were like, oh, we miss the good old days. Hashtag HBO's Confederate. So, uh, you know, it's like this kind of stuff matters. Like symbolism matters. And and also like our own complicity in this stuff matters. Like I went to college on a campus that is like Confederate shit everywhere. And you wouldn't know because it's Austin, Texas. Every name on every building is like somebody who was a fucking racist. Like half of the statues on campus are like fucking racist. And... You forget because you live in a town with a Whole Foods and like everything is nice and like, you know, people aren't lynching you anymore. But a lot of people are actually working towards taking these down. And I think that it is really important for all of us to join them. Totally. And also just like in terms of what is a good next step thing. I mean, I know we both read the New York Times piece about Heather Heyer, who's the woman who was killed by the terrorist who drove the car into the crowd. 
it's really interesting to read this in context of like a lot of the questions that we get from people who maybe sort of have beliefs aligned with women like Heather Heyer, but are not really doing a lot about it. And it's like, it's so interesting. She started educating herself on the internet. There's a quote about how she spent a lot of time reading up about issues. And then she like made it a point to like be physically out in the street. There's an anecdote about a friend of hers who is a black man. And Heather at the time was dating someone who was like not cool with that. And she broke up with that person. I feel like we get questions like this a lot. Like, oh, I've just learned that someone close to me is like, overtly racist. What do I do about it? It's like, well, Break she was up like, with them. <laughs> it ends with a quote from her friend who says, what would Heather do? Heather would go harder. <laughs> and, and I really, like, I don't know. There's a lot, like, I mean, yes, there's the overall, like, clearly this is something that she believed in. But, like, I think there's a lot of little details about the way that she educated herself and put her beliefs into actions in her personal life and, like, in the streets that I find very, very inspirational and like a a bar we should all strive to clear. Uh, Rest in power, Heather Heyer. you doing girl it's hot i just like i made senegalese food yesterday so i had really good leftovers and the pepper is too hot and it's hot outside like i am overheating right now it's crazy oh it is it is a cloudy summer day in la i'm very relaxed because i'm three decades late on everything related to exercise trends i went to baby's first spin class today with friend of the podcast jorge rivas and i survived (laughs) <laughs> the fittest friend of the podcast. He's so fit. Like fit in the British way and fit in the like works out really hard way. I know. For my entire life, people have been trying to sell me the benefits of exercise for reasons other than like like my body, right? Like my dad got me to play AYSO soccer as a kid because he showed me a study about how exercise improves brain functionality. I feel like this was a similar <laughs> thing. Like Jorge was like, it'll help you realize your goals. So... I did that today. And now I'm just like, wow, I can just relax. Like, I'm not going to move from my sofa for like the next 24 hours because I did 45 minutes of very hard work. (laughs) I'm just like that Parks and Recreation gif that's like, uh, I know jogging is good for you, but my God, at what price? It's true. It's true. So I don't know. I don't think I'm going to be a regular, but there's, I I have yet to find, I have yet to experience like an exercise endorphin high. Like it has yet to happen for me. Really? Yeah. Wow. Tough, tough crowd to please. I, this is just like my biology. I'm like, you know, I also, it really makes me, every time I try to do some kind of coordinated exercise thing, I have a lot of respect for 
people who are just like whose bodies are responsive to their brain. Like my mouth is responsive to my brain. Like I can like talk all day, but like my body is not <laughs> like 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 I can watch someone doing something and then like I literally do not know how to imitate them with my own body. Like there is some sort of real disconnect. So I, I don't mean, know. if you want a really good laugh, it's like me on uh like uh what are those machines called? The elliptical. Oh yeah, is the funniest. Like I can't. You're right. I like my body doesn't know how to elliptical. I automatically it's so true and I get an elliptical and I start going backwards like I don't know how to go forward (laughs) and it's crazy in fact the only exercise high I think I ever get is running friend of the podcast Claire of a kind Claire beautiful Claire she is the one that like recommended running for like a variety of reasons and it is like it's painful but it's like enjoyable that's the only thing I like Everything else, I don't have the, it's like, I don't have hand-eye coordination. I don't have elliptical coordination. I don't like, I just don't have coordination. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And I hate people. So it's like, it's the thing I have to do alone. <laughs> it is it true. Out. Like the, the psychological hurdle for me of like, like if I am not having sex with you, me like grunting and being sweaty in your presence, like feels very weird. Like I really yeah, only want that happen. experience. That's an intimate experience for me. <laughs> It's just, it's just like not gonna happen. Yeah. And also, yeah. And then I have like so many problems with like woo woo language where it just like, I'm like, I feel shook and triggered. So I can't, like, I just, I can't handle it. What do you Sorry. mean by like woo woo language? Like, like the kind of like pump you up, like class yeah, at the it's gym? Like the language? pump you up language or the yoga language. It's taken me like three decades to like shed so much learned like garbage religion stuff mm-hmm. that. Whenever any exercise class has any elements of spirituality, it's really hard for me to concentrate because I'm just like, what are you trying to sell me here? It's like all I'm listening for. It's why like when I go to yoga classes, I only like going to like the ones that are like Beyonce yoga or like a happy yoga or whatever, where they play like music that I can sing along to as opposed to listening to someone who's telling me to look deep inside my soul. Yeah, although I won't lie, I was I was pretty immune to most of the motivational language today, except for impress yourself, <laughs> which is maybe going to be my 2018 theme. Because you know what? I am hard to impress. I was like, that is like a really, I am hard to impress. So Impress yourself. There's this one really great Black man who I think is based out of Philly, who teaches a spin class that is like, of course, Black people make everything great. But like this Black spinning, it's insane. They get off the bikes and they all dance and everybody shakes and there's twerking. I'll send you a video. I follow him on Instagram and I just watch his videos all day. I have no desire to get on the bike, but I like watch the videos all day long. The other thing that it was inadvertently amusing is referring to the seat as the saddle. Like, you know, okay, get back <laughs> in your saddle. I was like, just like picturing this room of spandex cowboys and cowgirls. It was, I don't know. It was like. This is making me feel like, uh, have you ever seen? No, they, I know the answer is no, because I'm the only person that's seen this movie. And I was very high when I saw it. You, me, and Dupree. And I, I'm not even going to go into the movie. It's so embarrassing. I can't believe I'm admitting to this now. But you know, like, stoner stoner moment, watch TV. Of course. And I love those Wilson brothers. There's, like, an entire joke arc that is built around, like, get back on the bike and Lance Armstrong. And that's all I remember about that movie. Wow. Wow, yeah, from an era when Lance Armstrong yeah. was not a punchline. <laughs> I mean, yeah, don't watch You, Me, and Dupree at all. Like, nobody watch it. But if you've watched it and you remember the Lance Armstrong, like, get back on the bike joke, holler at me. 
Okay, tell me something really funny and ridiculous because this has been a really heavy week. Okay, um, a woman I don't know sent me a link to this article and was like, it just seemed like something you would be interested in, which, of course, I'm like scared to click that. But it was this Boston Globe article about, quote, she sheds, which at first I thought was a reference to having a period. (laughs) (laughs) She sheds. (laughs) Exactly. It's just, it's a complete sentence. She or he sheds sometimes. But yeah, anyway, in fact, it is framed as a response to the, quote, man cave movement. But really what's going on is women, as far as I can tell, many of them, suburban women married to men are like, screw cleaning for you all the time. I'm going to make myself unavailable because I don't want to wait on you hand and foot. And I'm going to go hang out in this tricked out shed in the backyard, (laughs) which is my own space. It is like, you know... (sighs) I just like, this is ludicrous. It is ludicrous, but... A shed of one's own. I'm doing a Pinterest search for she sheds because I need to see the interiors. Yeah, I mean, the interiors are obviously great. I mean, I I think of this as like a more realistic... Yeah, it's like a more realistic tiny house thing. This is like an adult treehouse. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And there's even there's even wow, a book. Wow, 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 wow. There's a book called "She Sheds: A Room of Your Own," or is a forthcoming book. I'm sorry. This is killing me. This little shabby chic one. Yep. I love the headlines, too, on all of these Pinterest articles. It was just a shabby little shed out back until the wife transforms it into a private escape. Yeah. I mean, a friend of mine who is the parent of two very small children wrote uh, a piece, shout out to Courtney Martin, about how hard it is for her to, like, find solitude and how, like, that is a thing she misses. It's not earth shattering that, like, maybe if you're a parent of two young kids, you would crave some silence now and then. But like that was at the forefront of my mind about like how important for mental health it is. And I think I would have read this article at another point and been like, oh, come on, just like, you know, carve out some space in your actual home and reclaim it from your partner or your kids. But reading it again, I was like, you know what, maybe you do need 10 10 feet of separation in the backyard to like have your own space. And California has made you so soft. The correct response to she sheds is, oh, come on. <laughs> like for, for many, for like many fucking reasons. First of all, like <laughs> who has this, this space like this in their backyard? And second of all, like no consumerism. I know HGTV feminism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like make a she shed in your heart. This is insane. I don't know. I mean, you know what? I think that this also hits at like the part of my heart that is a Midwest crafty lady. And I'm like, oh, but it's, you know, like I really I'm just I'm poised to be weak to to the she shed. I know. I mean, listen, I love the she shed in concept, you know, but like when you look at the she shed through the lens of patriarchy and capitalism, it's a trap. I mean, what isn't a trap through the lens of patriarchy and capitalism? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Come on. This is bananas. Oh, this one with the little Dutch door is so cute. Exactly. (laughs) Next time you talk to me, I'm going to have a she shed. You know I have the space for it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it made me think about how, like, A, like, we should maybe bring back the menstrual hut because it's the same motivation. Like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to go, like, like, somewhere where I can just, fucking like bleed blood out clot blood <laughs> clot in peace <laughs> like that sounds great yeah thank you thank you listener who sent this to me directly i was like you do know you do know my heart <laughs> you know like next time i talk to you i'm probably gonna be on an airbnb that's a fucking she shed like this is this is appealing to me on like every 
every one of my disgusting aesthetic points. Like, I'm there. Can I hit you with the truth, though, is that there actually is a shed behind my house and I could probably convert it if I didn't already have a beautiful office in my home because I have carved out that space in the place where I pay rent. I'm not I don't need to add an addition. (laughs) Make me a shed. Next time I stay, I'm staying in the shed. Oh, my God. I'm not sure you want to do that. But yes. Oh, God. This, I, listen, if you make it as nice as this Mongolian you're looking one, like, I definitely want to stay there. I'm buying you the book. Figure it out. <laughs> All right. I accept the challenge. She sheds. <laughs> I know, right? For complete <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be my competing business where I just like, like have an airstream where women can come have their periods in peace. Oh my God. Well, it is like, it's, it's also a thing for, particularly for writers, like um, a friend of mine uh, house sat for Maggie Nelson once and what? showed me, I know, and I went and like hung out with her while she was there and she showed me the, what is essentially the shed where Maggie Nelson does her writing. And I was like, it was a real, it was a real pilgrimage spiritual experience for me. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to knock the shed. A shed of one's own. This is great. Today's show brought to you by She Sheds. Oh my God. That is my dream. Dream advertiser. She Sheds. goes by when you talk about racism and lady sheds. I know. Do you do you want to address Girl Scout stuff? Do you okay. want I want to address Girl Scout stuff and by addressing Girl Scout stuff, if you are a former Girl Scout who has like gotten so much from Girl Scouts, please stop emailing me. Also, awesome. I'm really happy for you. <laughs> I'm so happy for you that you're like in leadership. You're probably going to be our first lady president. It's cool. Um, Nowhere in the show did we say that people should not send their kids to Girl Scouts. You can do whatever you want. It's also okay to think that, like, all institutions are powered by people and that sometimes people fuck up. Yeah, and I would say, too, that, like, I just want to voice my truth about Girl Scouts, which is that it was a gender norm. <laughs> Walk in your con- truth. Walk a gender norm truth. confirming experience that was designed, designed to drive me deeper into Catholicism and included a thing called the Marian Award that was, like, for, like, Catholic Girl Scout, whatever. Like, all I'm trying to say is I want to acknowledge there can be a lot of different types of experiences, especially with such a large institution and organization. And so, like, you know what? Like, I love the fact that my friend is a troop leader for her daughter's Girl Scouts, and I'm sure they are out there doing taxidermy and learning to code and, like, figuring out how to run for office and doing great things. And that doesn't mean that, like, everyone has exactly that experience. I think that, like, Race, class, politics, location, all of this stuff actually affects quite a bit the experience that you have as a kid in a group like this. So I don't think that we're out here being like, it's a bad thing. It's terrible. I think like, you know, skepticism is warranted for for institutions. You are never going to get me to be on board 1000% with any institution. Like, and I'm part of like great institutions. 
People are complicated. It's cool. But also, like, I'm really happy that the Girl Scouts has made, like, such assertive, like, great women. Like, I'm like, wow. Right. Shit is real. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Like, I'm like, you know, I'm really, I am also happy. I'm happy about, like, like, women getting leadership experience or having, like, positive group experiences as a kid, however they get them. Yeah. And learning how to make money. Like, I think that's important. Sell those fucking cookies. Sure. All right. Shout out to all the lesbian separatist Girl Scouts. You're the real ones. Uh, okay, last question. Are you are you going to try to see the eclipse on Monday? And ruin my eyesight? Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Please. Um, um, I am technically not in the path of the eclipse. Like, we're all going to get, like, glimpses of it, obviously. But it's not like prime eclipse country where I'm at. The path of totality, which is like what they're calling that strip uh, where the, the the full eclipse is visible, has become like a, a way that I think about like going too far with anything. It's like, okay, well, I binged, you know, two episodes, but I'm not quite in the path of totality. Like I'm not like wasting my whole <laughs> afternoon or like there is something about the phrase path of totality that like the idea that like it's it's all or nothing. <laughs> I am repurposing that in other areas of my life. But same, I'm not like, I mean, I'm not going out of my way to have a special eclipse experience. Yeah, I've already seen that Mad Men episode. It's cool. Um, I already read that Annie Dillard essay from the early 80s, which is like probably better than any IRL eclipse experience I would have. It's like just beautiful about what her, what it was like for her. And I'm just like, you know what? Like I'm, I'm content, content to experience some things through reading. I won't lie. <laughs> I know. And through the NASA, like, Instagram account, like, shout out NASA. Thank you for all your hard work. It is true. It is true. Thanks for those of us who aren't in the path of totality. (laughs) Letting us dabble. (laughs) I think in New York, it's like we're getting a partial eclipse glimpse, like, right before 3 p.m. And I'm like, during my nap time? I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, All right. Okay. Have fun. If I lose you to the eclipse, it was nice knowing you. I like I get all your t-shirts. You're the best. Shout out to the women experiencing the eclipse on the steps of their she sheds. <laughs> <laughs> um, today's show is brought to you by she sheds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should just have made up advertisements now, like from now on. <laughs> from now on, it's like today's episode is brought to you by the full eclipse trajectory. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All other music you heard today was composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. And this podcast is produced by the beautiful Gina Delbeck. It is 4 p.m. and I have missed my nap time. So uh, I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) All right. I'll see you on the internet. See you on the internet.